We are finishing up um, the book of Galatians today. It's been a wonderful letter. It's been very, uh, it's ministered deeply to me as Paul writes to the Galatians. And, uh, and we're finishing it up. And next week we're going to look, we're going to kind of have a, a bridge passage that we'll talk about. And then we'll launch into the other series created, Discovering What You Are Made For. Uh, there is a, if you're new to Green Bay, there's a football team here called the Packers. And the Green Bay Packers are currently in preseason. And they have training camp uh, just about every day. And at night they have TCR, the training camp report. I believe that's what it is on Channel 11. And they report on training camp. And one of the funny things that I saw this year is that the guy said, yeah, this year Mike McCarthy, who's the coach, if you don't know, repent. Mike McCarthy is, Mike McCarthy is going back to the fundamentals. He's going back to the basics. And I laugh at that because they say that every single year, don't they? This year, they're going back to the fundamentals. Well, one area that they really need to go back to the fundamentals is punt return. Um, if you have seen it, it's been disastrous. This past week was better, um, but they've had really hard time. And one of the punt returners' name is Will Blackman, and he's been injured. And so a reporter asks him, do you have any advice for the young guys trying to return punts? And Will Blackman speaks to the reporter, and all he says is, catch the ball. Doesn't matter how fast you are. Doesn't matter what moves you have. What really counts, what really matters, the fundamental is you first have to catch the ball. Seems simple, right? But that's what they needed to hear. I think, ironically, Will Blackman might have muffed a punt this week. But Paul, in the book of Galatians, is saying we have to go back to the fundamentals. We have to go back to the core of our faith. We need to discover what is important about Christianity. He had planted the church of Galatia, and they have wandered off into these frivolous ideas. And they had thought that the core of Christianity, that the fundamentals, that what was important was their external religious rituals for God. And that was the furthest thing from the truth. Paul says that is not what counts to God. When you stand before a holy God, you will not be able to point back at your life and say, look at all the good things I did, God. I deserve to be here. I deserve to be with you. And so when we stand before God, there is really only one thing that counts. And that's important to know, isn't it? Isn't it important to know that when you die and you stand before God on the day of judgment, there's only one thing that counts? Do you want to know what that is? I think it's important. Let's read Galatians chapter 6, verse 14 through the end. Um, I can't remember the page number on the Red Bible. If any of you have it, do you know page number? 975. Thank you, Joshua. All right, Galatians chapter 6, verse 14 through 18. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we 
we are made to worship you. Uh, if we don't worship you, we will worship something else. But our heart delights the most when we worship you because that's what we were created for, God. And we get distracted with a lot of different things, a lot of different rules and regulations, and we get confused, Lord. Help us to remember what's important, what really counts. Change our heart, transform us. In Christ's name, amen. So if circumcision doesn't count, as he says, these religious rituals, and uncircumcision doesn't count, the thing that he says counts is a new creation. Now, this is kind of funny because this is actually the first time Paul ever mentions this phrase in the book of Galatians. And you're sitting there thinking, if it's so important, why are you just mentioning it two sentences before the end of the book, before the end of the letter? But I would say that Paul has actually argued for all the way through the book. And we see this throughout, really, the Bible. Um, Jesus talks about if you want to have eternal life, you must be born again. We hear of people that were dead that are now alive. We know people that were enslaved, but they're now free through Christ. And even in Galatians, Paul talks about how you are under the slavery of the law, but you have now been set free by Christ. And so he says you must become a new creation. You must be born again. We call it regeneration. You know, I'm hooked on the TV show America's Got Talent because all these people have these amazing talents. They do these amazing things, and it's just absolutely fascinating to me. But no one has ever come up and said, hey, this week, I'm going to rebirth myself. That would be amazing. Pretty sure that guy would win, um, except they probably couldn't put it on TV. But that would be amazing, because this is not an act of man. This is something that only God can do to make us into a new creation. And so what we see here in kind of the summary of the book of Galatians and the summary of what we're going to talk about today is what counts is not man's external performances for God, but God's internal transformation of man. What counts is not man's external performances for God, but God's internal transformation of man. And so what counts to God is not your external performances. It's not your obedience. It's not your tithe. It's not your baptism. It's not your rank. It's not your wealth. It's not your accolades. What counts is what God is doing in you, that God has made you into a new creation through faith in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about this in more detail. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God. God is the one who makes us into a new creation. Revelations 21.5 talks about this work of God. And it says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And so God is making all things new. And God has made all who trust in Christ into a new creation. But one of the tensions is that we live in this time while we're alive on earth called the already and not yet. So we already really are a new creation in God, that we are declared righteous before a holy God, that we are treated as Christ's perfection deserves. But we are not yet living according to our new identity and we're growing to become more like Christ. Let me give you an example. I moved up to Wisconsin about three years ago, and, uh, 
and we bought a house, and so we were residents of Wisconsin. We were true, we, we really were Wisconsin residents, but we weren't really yet Wisconsin residents. We had never gone on a vacation north of Highway 8. We had uh, never visited the Cheese Barn. We, uh, we hadn't been to a Packers game or tailgated or, or any of those things. Still had to transfer our addresses. We still had to pay bills that, that belonged to Missouri. And so we were really Wisconsinites, but we were still making the transition. And so we live in this time where we really are a new creation by Christ, yet we're becoming conformed into the image of Christ. And so when we look at what we're going to study today, we're going to look at what are the benefits of being a new creation, what happens. And when we study this, what we're going to see is all the benefits of being a new creation are available to you today. And we spend the rest of this life acquiring them, bringing them in, believing them, trusting in them. And then when we go with Christ in heaven, they will be fully ours, all these benefits. And so let's look at the benefits of being a new creation. First, we see the benefit of being a new creation is it gives us a new peace. Verse 16, if you would keep your Bibles open, I don't have Galatians printed up here for you, but keep your Bibles open. It says, verse 16, and as for all who walk by this rule, the rule that Paul is talking about are, is what he laid out in the two verses just prior to verse 16, that Christ crucified is the only thing we can boast in. We can't boast in our circumcision. We can't boast in our sacraments. We can't boast in our good works, but only in Jesus Christ crucified. He says, if you walk according to that, you are a new creation. And with that, the verse continues, 16, peace and mercy be upon them. All those who are governed by the gospel of Jesus Christ have peace. Peace now and peace forever. Philippians talks about a peace that surpasses all understanding. What a wonderful thing to think about. But we have peace with God now because we know that we are no longer under his condemnation. God is no longer trying to judge us, but he loves us. And we are his joy when we trust in Christ. And we even know from Romans 8, it talks about that God does all things for the good of those who love him. And so in the storms of life, We can hide in the cleft of God's love, knowing that he is the God of the universe, that he can protect us, and we can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. There's also an eternal peace, being confident that Christ has secured our salvation at the cross, knowing that our eternity is not in jeopardy because we trust wholly and completely in Jesus Christ. And so we have a peace. But what company's peace that you see here in verse 16 And really, throughout the scriptures, is that peace and mercy go side and side, side to side. Matter of fact, we don't have peace without the mercy of God. Mercy is very simply this, not getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. So the scriptures say what you deserve is death. It says all has sinned and fallen short of the glory of sin and the sorry glory of God and the wages of sin is death. That is what we deserve. We deserve to be separated God for all eternity because of our sin, because all have sinned. But God shows mercy to us. He he doesn't punish us as our sins deserve. Rather, he punishes Jesus in our place. He Christ paid for our sin at the cross. And so God shows mercy to us so that we might have peace 
with him. There's a story of a German prince, and he had a a French prince coming through town. Excuse me, the German prince was coming through France, and the French prince said, well, it's our custom that when we have a prince coming through town, we release one of our prisoners. And so you can go and choose whatever prisoner you'd like to release. And so taking this duty seriously, he goes and he starts interviewing the prisoners and one and after another talks about injustice and how they don't belong there and how they've been wrongfully accused and finally he comes to one prisoner who says your highness i have no reason to complain i have been a very wicked desperate wretch i deserve to be broken alive on the wheel i account it a great mercy that i am here and the prince fixes his eyes on him and i love his response he says you wicked wretch It is a pity you should be placed among so many honest men. By your own confession, you are bad enough to corrupt them all, but you shall stay with them. You shall not stay with them another day. And then turning to the guard, he said, release this man. He was shown mercy. He knew that he was getting what he deserved and that he even deserved worse than that. You may be here and you have never known the mercy of God. You have never even known that you need mercy from God. And you may have said, why is there no peace in my life? And it's because you have not accepted the mercy that God offers to you through Christ. But there is a peace that surpasses all understanding that is offered to you today by trusting in Christ. You may be here and you may be a Christian and you may say, you know what? I'm a Christian, but there's still not a lot of peace in my life. If you look at verse 16, what it says, and as for All who walk by this rule. Every Christian, everyone who trusts in Christ, peace is offered to you knowing that God of the universe who loves you and cares for you and is working for you is in charge of your circumstances. You know, it's interesting uh, when we go through really difficult times in our life, when we go through storms, no one would say, yes, this is what I want. But often we look back on it and we see how God has grown us in our relationship with him through those experiences. And in some ways, many times we would say, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Because God was at work in that. And we know that we have a God who works in all situations, no matter how happy or sad they are. And so being a new creation gives us a new peace through God's mercy. Being a new creation also gives us a new community. Verse 16, he says, Uh, about those that have peace and mercy upon them, that they are the Israel of God. They are true Israel, the ones that really do belong to the Jerusalem that's above that we studied in Galatians chapter 4. Back in Romans 9, Paul talks about it this way. He says, For not all who are descendants from Israel are Israel. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring and he explains abraham's offspring galatians 329 we got a lot of scripture for you today don't we he says if you belong to christ then you are abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise and so he says all who trust in jesus christ are heirs of the government they are abraham's children they are a part of this invisible israel that belongs to god and to them is peace and mercy And so we belong to a true Israel, all who trust in Christ. We also belong to a true family. In verse 18, Paul ends the letter by calling them brothers, the Galatians. Now, 
If you're like me, you probably read verse 18 and you kind of just read over it because you're thinking it's just Paul's kind of sincerely Paul, right? But he calls them brothers. And this is extremely important because um, I think we've mentioned before, the book of Galatians is probably one of the harshest letters that Paul has ever written. Because the gospel is being attacked, but also because Paul is being attacked. They have slandered against him. They have gossiped against him. They have done wicked and evil things against Paul. But Paul still calls them brothers. Because he knows no matter what they have done against him, that the peace and the mercy that God extended to Paul is also extended to them. And that they are part of one family with their big brother, Jesus. And what this means for us is that there may be Christians in your life who have sinned against you greatly and who maybe have never repented or never thought that they did anything wrong and you have bitterness in your heart towards them. They are still your brother. They are still your sister. God calls us to radically forgive them. And so we are a part of a new Israel, a new family. When I was little, when I was probably elementary school, my brother Scott was in high school And he was a big brother. He would jest with me. He wasn't overly mean, but I didn't like it as a little kid. I was very stubborn, very driven. And anytime he would toy with me, I'd get so angry. And so for Christmas, I gave him a lump of coal. That's it. Nothing else. Just a lump of coal. Because I was so mad at him. Scott and I didn't stop being brothers. We have a great relationship today. We kept, as a matter of fact, even after that, you know, we still had a good relationship. He was a, a great older brother to me. But we remained brothers, despite my foolishness, despite my anger. We are part of a family. We are part of a new community because we are part of a new creation. Thirdly, we see that being a new creation gives us a new allegiance. Verse 17, from now on, Let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. This word marks in the Greek, you may have heard of, it's stigmata. Um, I've heard of it before because I've seen shows where people will actually be crucified. Uh, They'll be led around the town, and then they'll be let down and taken off the cross, and then they bear the marks of Jesus, the stigmata, they call it. I don't know if you've heard of that before. Kind of weird. But what we see is that all of Paul's marks for Jesus... None of them were wanted. None of them were voluntary. All of them were because of his allegiance, not to prove his allegiance to Christ. We, we see Paul kind of detailing out his stigmata in 2 Corinthians 11. He says this. He says, are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. What this is, is the, probably the cat of nine tails in which there were these leather threads with, with this whip with nine leather threads and embedded in it was glass and stone and bone, anything that would cut. And they would whip a person and they would wrap it around their body and they would pull. I don't need to share the graphic details. You can imagine how horrible this is. And it was supposed that 40 would kill a person, 40 lashes. And so Paul received 39 five times. You can imagine when he took his shirt off. I'm picturing Rambo. 
when he took his shirt off and you see just all the marks on his back, how messed up it is what's from those lashes. And so he bared the physical marks of Jesus. But it was more than just physical. The word stigmata was also a word used to describe when slave owners would brand their slaves and say, this is my possession. It was also used by a person who would devote themselves to an idol or to a god. They would get the brand of that idol and they would say, my life is dedicated to this god. Paul didn't seek this stigmata, but it was given to him and he wore it as a trophy of who he served. When I was in high school, I played football and uh, when you got a black eye, the next day you came in and it was a trophy, man. You would rub that thing, make it a little blacker, make sure everybody could see it, especially the cute girls. And, uh, and you'd walk around and they'd be like, boy, where'd you get that black eye from? And, oh, you know, I was playing football and, you know, uh, three guys ganged up on me and I got this black eye. It's a trophy. You say, this is who I am. This is where my allegiance is. Look, my allegiance is to this team. Paul is saying, my allegiance is to Christ. I have the marks to prove it. But his marks weren't only physical. He goes on in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I think he was in danger. Verse 27, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. You and I probably will never be scourged, will never be beaten for boasting in the cross of Christ. But there is far more persecutions than just physical. Paul had sacrificed his livelihood to go and boast in Jesus Christ. We have our own stigmata when we sacrifice our time and our energies, when we face the criticism of others for our beliefs. But these are marks that prove who our allegiance is to. Our allegiance is to Christ. And you can wear them proudly, knowing that you serve a God that is far greater than the comforts of this world. And so being a new creation gives us a new peace through God's mercy, gives us a new community, and it gives us a new allegiance to a wonderful Savior. Finally, this is my favorite, being a new creation gives us a new hope. Verse 18, the one that I said I usually read right over, is a summary of Paul's gospel. Verse 18, he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ Be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This new hope that we have is grace. Grace is so central to Christianity that it sets it apart from every other religion. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So if mercy is not getting the punishment you deserve, grace is getting the reward that you have not earned. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. Grace is getting not fear, but peace. It's getting not isolation from God, 
but a new community with God. It's not getting slavery to the world, but allegiance to a new Savior. It's not hopelessness, which we deserve, but it's a new hope through Christ. Grace is what sets Christianity apart from religion. It sets Christianity apart from irreligion. It sets Christianity apart from any other belief system in the entire world. Grace is radical. If you're here today and you consider yourself a little sinner, if you just need some minor renovations, if you just have a little bit wrong with you, Christianity is not for you. That, that's not biblical Christianity. If you're here and you say, you know what, I'm just a little bit messed up and I just need a little bit of modifications, would you please not call yourself a Christian? Because that is completely oppositional to everything that the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that Jesus came only for big sinners. He didn't come for little sinners. He says, I came not for the healthy, but for the sick. Ephesians even tells us we're not only sick, we're dead. Jesus only came for big sinners. That's good news, isn't it? It's good news for me. Christ only came for people that understand that their world is really messed up, that they're messed up. But Christ comes and he makes us a new creation through the cross of Christ. And you can see that anyone who says, I don't deserve saving, I don't deserve the mercy and grace of God, what would they boast in? They would boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul boasts. And he says, I can't boast in myself. I can only boast in Christ. I am a big sinner and I need a big Savior. And that's not me, that's Jesus on the cross. We have a big Savior. Christianity is for big sinners that have been purchased, that have been redeemed, and are now a new creation and precious in the sight of a holy God. Grace. It's completely different than anything else you'll hear. It's what God has done for us, despite our sin. There are no little sinners, only big sinners, redeemed and made into a joyous new creation. A few weeks ago, Extreme Home Makeovers came to Nina, I believe, right? Nina, Wisconsin. And uh, I love the name of the show, Extreme Home Makeover. A, a makeover is like when you change the blinds, right? Or when you change the doorknob or the faucet. They don't make over anything. They bring out a bulldozer. And, and then what's the guy's name? Ty. Ty? Yeah, I knew the girls would know it. So Ty holds out the camera and he points it. Excuse me. And uh, he, he points it to the house and the family's watching on the computer. And this bulldozer just comes in and completely wipes it out. And then they lay a new foundation and they put a new house up, a new creation. This is what God says. He says, I'm not trying to improve you. I'm not trying to renovate you. I'm not trying to make you a little bit cleaner, paint your walls. I'm making you into a new creation with a new foundation, Jesus Christ. This is what God has done for all who trust in Christ. You are a new creation. And so when you stand before God, what really counts? What really counts? It's not that you are an improved creation. It's not that you are a renovated creation. It's not that you are moral or good enough for God or that you have done the right things in church. The only thing that counts is a new creation. By the amazing grace of God, by faith, boasting only in the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. 
Dear God, thank you for this letter to the Galatians. God, we do get so sidetracked and we forget our priorities. We forget what really counts. And we're reminded here that what really counts is not the work that we have done, but the work that Christ has done on our behalf. God, I pray for all who are here who maybe do not know you, do not know that peace that transcends all understanding. I pray that you would work in their hearts and in their lives. We know that you are because they're here this morning, Lord. We pray that they would trust in you today, God. For those of us who are here who have been made into a new creation by your grace and by your mercy, we pray that we would believe it every day, that we would believe that the gospel is true, that Christ died so that we could be loved more than we could ever hope for by the God of the universe. And may we live as new creations. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we come to the Lord's